Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today, we are actually live, in person, in New York City for the first ever outdoor Project Purple Podcast episode with two special guests, Wade Richards and Stephen Schulman. Thank you guys for joining us here in New York. Thank you for having us. So, our podcast has been about a lot of stories of inspiration, and you guys are on this amazing journey. And for our listeners at home, what we always do is we always share kind of some background on our guests. And this is kind of your opportunity, Stephen and Wade, to share with our audience. And you guys can go into a lot of it, you know, but your background, and then we'll, we'll get, we're going to dive into some things and some questions in terms of what's going on right now in your life. But for the audience at home, feel free to share as much or as little of your background um, as possible. Awesome. So uh, I was diagnosed with stage three pancreatic cancer, November 2017, and it changed my life completely. Um, it was a major blow to uh, everything that we had planned for our future. Uh, prior to the diagnosis, we had gotten we had gotten married six months prior. Um, so we were planning our honeymoon and um, getting ready for the holidays. And we had to put our honeymoon on hold and focus on chemo treatments, radiation, all the stuff that goes hand in hand with battling the disease. So I'm gonna pause there for a second and I wanna rewind. So how did you guys meet? Uh, we met online. online. Here yeah. in the city? Yes. So you guys are both living lives here in New York City. I know Steven, you said where you live here, you were there since 2001. Yeah. And then Wade, you were here in the city since, have you guys both lived here in the city the majority over the last 20 years? Wade was living in Philadelphia oh, okay. when we met and commuting to the city. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So when you met Steven, you moved here full-time, or were you here full-time prior um, to? About the same time I was coming, I was, I like a few weeks prior to meeting Steven, I um, had interviewed for a job in Soho, um, in a salon, I do hair, and I got the job, a uh, full-time job, so that first week um, that I started working, I met Steven, and um, it was months later, but then I uh, actually subletted an apartment in Jersey City from one of Steven's friends who was a school teacher, and she was going to California for the summer. Um, and then from there, that's when I moved to New York, and Steven and I started dating more seriously. So what were you doing before uh, all this transpired? Before diagnosis, I was working as a tax preparer at an entertainment uh, tax firm that specializes in the entertainment community. So we would do taxes for actors on Broadway, uh, people on television, um, musicians that were on tour, just basically all different types of entertainment people in the industry. So was that, were you in the entertainment industry prior to, or is that something, or were you in taxes prior to, or something? I was actually working in publicity um, that focused on publicity for off-Broadway shows and uh, different indie movies and musicians. And um, unfortunately, I was working for myself, so it was hard to make a living. And a yeah. friend was working at a tax firm, and she needed seasonal help. And I went in as a seasonal employee and then they kind of fell in love with me and kept me on 
and I was working there for like six years or so. Uh, do you guys uh, frequently visit Broadway shows? Yeah, we actually went to a show not too long ago. We saw King Kong on Broadway, and uh, we saw Pretty Woman on Broadway. What's your favorite show that you've seen? Um, my favorite show would probably be Beautiful, which is currently still on Broadway. Um, that's where I proposed to Wade, oh, so it kind of has a special meaning to it. And Wade for you. <laughs> You're on the hot speed. Beautiful, definitely. <laughs> like, some theater uh, is a bit much for me, like the old school shows. But um, Beautiful is an amazing show. And um, I really liked one called Fun Home. Fun House? Fun Home. Fun Home. Yeah. It was a little bit darker, but... Um, yeah. So, life is great and then you get diagnosed. Uh, but I know from the story, because you and I have, we, we've been in contact with you guys for a while now, there were some complications early on, right, in terms of diagnosis. So what we're, for our audience to say home, and, and this is I think probably the most important, one of the most important pieces is, what was happening in your life that made you realize like, hey, something wasn't right? Um, I was having stomach pains a lot, and started losing weight and wasn't able to digest food very well um, so we went to an urgent care facility and the rest is history basically not really though I mean Stephen you went to two different hospitals to the emergency room um, to the ER and one had said it was just um, kidney stones and the other said that you're just dehydrated yeah so I mean then that was like eight months prior to complaining about the pain and I was getting to the point where it was getting a bit annoying because we were going to the ER they were saying nothing's wrong and I'm like Steven you know what's going on with you and he was like doubled over in a fetal position crying in pain and I said we have to go to the emergency room now remember yeah and then that's when we went to, and they transferred us to a hospital. Yeah, we were there for probably 19 hours at the ER, and they did a CAT scan, a CT scan, and said we have to go to the hospital right away. And so primarily stomach pain, loss of appetite, um, and how long do you guys think that this was kind of going on for? I mean, was it an immediate, like, and I mean, it, wait, you just weird, said it was know? a couple like, months. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's hard to was a couple that. months, but it's weird, like, I mean, there was definitely vomiting, and but it wasn't like everything changed to where it was so drastic and so dire until at, like a week after the diagnosis. Like it was diagnosed, and I don't know if it was like a mental thing, and then like his body reacted or or what had happened. But short that week after, it was like he was admitted to the hospital, and we spent the rest of the next six months in the hospital. That roller coaster ride. Yeah. yeah. Now, was there a history, Stephen, in your family of pancreatic cancer? No, no. there was no history of pancreatic cancer in my family. Any cancers my at all? My father had a brain tumor. Okay. Um, and then my grandmother had breast cancer. Um, 
But other than that, there was no history of pancreatic cancer at all. So nothing of significance. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, I think nowadays, you know, if you look at just population, most families have some sort of cancer in someone in their family. I mean, it's just a law of averages. And I think statistically, I read something like, you know, by the year 2040, um, it's either going to be heart disease or cancer that, you know, most people will succumb to, you know, once they reach a certain age, 80 plus, uh, just because of just aging and just, you know, our society and diets and everything. So, but nothing out of the ordinary. So I want to go back to what Wade had said. So you get the original diagnosis and then for six months, there was kind of this, you begin this roller coaster journey in terms of treatment and getting proper treatment. And there was an infection, I believe, along the way and some complications. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what happened originally? So you get the diagnosis finally. And then what was the next step? There was, I think, a procedure that was attempted that caused some infection and... Um, the stent. Oh, the stent. They tried to put in a stent and were unsuccessful in doing so. They tried three times to do it and weren't able to do it. I ended up with a blood infection. Um, and the nuclear thing in your nose. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, that you had the nubular um, tube in your nose and he had that in there for almost three weeks. He was living in the hospital bed with that. Um, they you know tried to do the other stent and they didn't and we were um, hoping to go to MSK but the insurance there's big issues so Stephen actually said um, that we were transferring to MSK and he was going to deny the surgery so that he could get transferred to MSK um, but they denied it because of the insurance so they had to do an emergency gastric bypass surgery um, to allow the um, stomach to release the fluids that were being uh, blocked blocked from the tumor. So this was like six months of torture though for you guys, right? I mean, yeah. I, know, I remember hearing the story. I mean, so during this time, you're not able to receive any treatment, correct? Like no chemotherapy right. or radiation or anything along those lines. It was probably like four months before I was able to receive any sort of chemo. Um, but once uh, January came around, we were able to transfer to another hospital. And um, it was a lot better than the previous hospital as far as care and, and whatnot. So we go back that six months, uh, that first episode. So you waited about four months for chemotherapy treatment or any type of treatment for the disease because of these complications with the stent procedures and the blood infection. So talk a little bit about that. Well, so like we finally did, like Stephen said, get the proper insurance to go to MSK. And the first day that he was supposed to start chemo, they admitted him into the hospital because he had a blood infection um, and- And I was jaundice. And jaundice. Uh, we, when we went there, um, we went to the hospital, they had noticed that the Metaport was put in upside down 
and that was unable to be utilized anyways because where the flow of the um, metaphor was supposed to go was actually flowing into his shoulder rather than towards his heart. And so they couldn't start the chemo for that reason, for one of those reasons, because it wasn't able to go through the port. The other thing was um, they started, they, at MSK, um, they put in a G and J tube um, port, which allowed Steven to get nutrition, nutrition through the feeding port and then also drain the, um, you know, the biliary fluids that were being blocked um, to help him become well again because those are the things that were kept causing the infection because of the, um, the tumor blockage. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then they did the biliary drain as well to um, drain what was above the tumor um, of the blockage. So there was the blockage below and above and so that was why there's two other drains. And then once that all, so a couple months of, of that, he healed and um, he, the blood infection went away and um, he was able to start a lower dose of Flafluorinox. And so you did the Flafluorinox for how many rounds? Do you remember? I think four. Four, four or five, I think. And how did you fare on that Flafluorinox? I got sick off of it, yeah. but um, but I was okay. I was able to manage it. So Flafluorinox is a very toxic chemotherapy, and, and the average, you know, is people get very sick on it, and, and uh, you know, it's very hard to tolerate. So you also mentioned before we started recording, you did some radiation therapy as well. So when did the radiation therapy come in to play? Was that after the rounds of Flafornox? Yeah, it was after the Flafornox. Uh, they did five weeks of radiation, 25 days total. Um, it was like a high-dose radiation. Um, it was every morning we would go to the hospital and do it. And uh, that made me a little sick, but not as sick as the Flafornox. It actually just made me more fatigued and tired. Um, yeah. Which it's supposed to do. So most of the time, it's like a, uh, a heavy dosage, but doesn't necessarily, um, you know, make you feel you know wonderful after. But it, it, it's doing what it's supposed to do in terms of its effectiveness. Then is is in terms of the radiation, which is not easy. So chemo radiation, and then you took a chemo break at some point, correct? Yes, I was on a chemo break and I talked to my oncologist and said I'd really like to do some sort of chemo or something. So they let me go on an oral chemo regimen for uh, basically two cycles of that. And then you've been on a break And then for I've nine been on months. a break now for nine months of nothing but observation. And you guys recently consulted with Dr. Trudy in Mayo. Um, so looking at some alternative treatments, and I know we're still working through that. Um, but in terms of scans and uh, how you feel, how do you feel? Um, I get tired a lot lately, but other than that, I've been feeling okay. Every now and then I'll get pain at the, the site of tubes. Yeah. Um, 
but my energy is definitely a lot better uh, being off chemo. Yeah. But, um, but I'm also very anxious and nervous that I'm not doing enough to actually fight the, the cancer that's there. So it's a very catch-22. I'm happy not to take chemo, but I'm also very nervous that I'm not on any sort of regimen. How have the scans been? This, the tumor has not grown or shrunk since diagnosis. So stable. That's so fascinating. I know, right? So, with that knowledge, and, and this is, a, I, I'm going to ask a hard question here. Do you feel like all of this stuff that you've gone through, if the tumor hasn't shrunk or grown, has it, you know, has it ultimately been, you know, worth it? I mean, I definitely think it's been worth it um, that it's remained stable and yeah. hasn't spread or grown. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't change what I've been through. Um, I would have liked for it to shrink, obviously. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm happy that it's stable at this point. Did anyone ever give you a stage? Three. Yeah, I'm stage three. Stage three. So, stage three and originally diagnosed in locally advanced pancreatic cancer right so but originally diagnosed in late 2018 17 17 so we're almost halfway two through years. yeah two years which is a miracle yeah, yeah definitely so during this whole time and i'm gonna ask you both this question and we'll start with steven first here wade this is a roller coaster, I think, is probably putting it politely what you guys have gone through. What do you do every day to like get up and make the best of the day? Like what what's your motivation and what are some of the things that you do? And maybe there's and the reason why I ask is maybe there's someone listening, Steven, that's out there that is looking and sitting in the same situation you are, that is looking for some assistance on how to how to do what they're doing, what you're doing right now. For myself, what I find useful is uh, talking with friends, family, uh, the support team, uh, being around Wade, doing things that I normally would do and not trying to limit myself by saying, oh, I have cancer, I can't do that. So I still continue to go to theater, go out to dinner, meet up with friends, um, go around the city um, exploring doing things that made me happy before I was diagnosed. So it's basically doing what you did before and not letting this stop you from doing what you love. Wait. Um, you know, bef before the diagnosis, you know, when we first heard about it, I honestly didn't even know what the pancreas was. I didn't even know where it was. Then um, you get the diagnosis and you start reading about it and you hear about it and it's like a death sentence so for months and months i lived in sorry it's okay i lived in dread and fear of how much time what what tomorrow's gonna bring but after months went by and steven you know especially after the chemo and, and, and being on the break, I begin to see Stephen again, you know, as Stephen and not someone sick and in pain. And I mean, obviously there's still pain, but 
not you know the devastation of just being sick you know we were able to like go for walks and go out and be able to do things and and meet people and it was then that I just I know that it sounds so cliche but it's it really like is true that every day is a miracle and you know what I just think what what to, what can I do today to make today special and you know even if it's just like going to Starbucks and you know spending an hour just you know sitting there with Steven talking before starting the day you know um, not taking those moments for granted and um, for me personally to work um, I you know do a lot of editorial hair for fashion and um, allowing myself once Steven was better to be able to say you know Steven's okay you know even to be left alone I mean up until like what even four months ago I was like you can't be alone not at all but now it's you know it's as is better and, and allowing myself to work and you know be creative that has definitely helped and I think helped Steven too that you know we're not just both sitting at home moping and you know oh what to do but you know taking life by the horns and saying I'm gonna you know do the best I can for today Thank you both for sharing that. Um, and I think what you both have said is so powerful. And I will tell you this from my perspective, Wade and I are friends on social media. And when I see you guys out and about, and when I see both of you guys smiling in pictures, it is just so awesome to see. Um, and I think what you both just said is just so critical because for our listeners at home, Cancer doesn't define anyone. No. And it shouldn't define neither of you two. And I commend you for having the courage and the gumption every day. It's not easy. I don't know what it's like to be in either of your shoes. I lost my dad. So it was a different caregiver perspective, right? I went home to my family at night after spending time with my dad. But it is so powerful to not let any disease, and in this case, pancreatic cancer, define your day, your thoughts, your outcomes, any of that, you know, you, you control that. And that is just so powerful. So thank you guys for sharing that intimate, you know, moments and, and the stuff that you guys have done. It definitely took a while to get to the point where life wasn't all about cancer. Because in the beginning, that was all that we dealt with and talked about. Um, worried about, stressed about, um, and then finally it's like, no, I'm not going to let cancer rule my life and take over it and not live. So it definitely takes a while to get to that point. But once you allow yourself to live your life and do things that make you happy, it, um, it helps you, I feel, even heal a little bit, um, especially mentally. So... So was there a point for, for you guys that that happened? Like what point or what was the catalyst? I mean, because I, I agree with you and I, I, doing this 10 years and even from my own personal experience, it, it, can, it can become almost paralyzing in the very beginning, right? And as Wade said, you go online and for our listeners at home, that's probably the worst thing to do is, right? Go online and you look uh, at all the, I 
I mean, it, it's information, and you know, I, I think information is powerful when used in the right form, and can be very negative when it's used in, in the, the other form, which is not the positive one. But what was was there a point that that changed for you guys, maybe in treatment or in? You just um, woke up one day and said, "Hey, I'm not going to let this define me." And I joined when I first was diagnosed. I joined a lot of Facebook groups that were pancreatic. Uh, cancer survivors and caregivers and um, every day a new post would be so-and-so died or so-and-so is now admitted in the hospital and has a week left and and eventually I was like okay I'm bringing myself down by reading this like every day so I decided to stop following those groups and started just healing and focusing on myself I think that um, like you said, going online kind of can be a negative um, effect on yourself and your esteem. Yeah, I agree. So do you um, talk about self-care, which I think self-care is so important. We've had a lot of survivors. We had a lady who lives here in the city, which I'm going to connect you with if I haven't. But she was uh, an, an editor for uh, Harper's Magazine, I believe, Sam. Uh, one of the magazines, Health and Beauty magazine, and she was diagnosed, Harper's Bazaar, on the health issue, and she said that she took care of herself, like, so she, you know, she was in the fitness and beauty industry, so she still worked out, it wasn't working out like it was prior to cancer, she said, you know, doing her makeup, doing her hair and you know she lost her hair as a female she's like I got wigs and I always wore a wig you know and so doing those kind of self-care things was just so critical to that so are there things in your routine Stephen that you do now whether it's meditation or yoga or just peaceful mindness reading um, I go to physical therapy once a week and that definitely gets me motivated and gets me moving around and strengthening muscles and um, it's definitely something that, that helps. I also go on walks a lot, exploring the city, um, and um, just trying to keep busy, so. And all of your bad TV watching? Yeah. Bad reality TV. Binge, do you binge watch <laughs> reality TV? Um, sometimes. What's I'll your make... favorite show on rea for reality TV? Do you have one? Um, I guess Survivor. It still kind of holds up a little bit, I feel like. Were you a fan of Survivor? Like, that's been out for like 20-something years. Yeah, I've been a fan since it's the beginning. So. so I used to watch that, like, religiously, like, the first, like, 10 years, or the first, first 10 seasons, I guess it would be called. And then the funny thing is then I think life just got really busy, so I stopped watching. And then the DVRs, you could always go back, and I don't know, I just, with, with everything... Now my youngest son, who's 13, watches Survivor because I That's see it DVR'd on the on the uh, on the uh, the recording device. But you know, talking about walking, and I'll mention this: we are right across the street from the High Line, and you guys live in a great area. And as we were saying when we were walking over to the park, there's so many beautiful areas here in, in New York to explore and just so cool areas so I, I think that's really impactful what you said though about finding whatever it is for you if you're battling and not everyone lives in the city right some people live in the suburbs they live on the west coast east coast north south but just find something it doesn't necessarily have to be what helps you but it could be something else um, and that's just so important I think for the caregiver perspective Wade are there things that you find for yourself 
you know, which is a little bit different. So now for our audience to stay home, there's caregivers that listen. You know, are there things that you've been doing, you know, for you yeah. to kind of... Well, in the beginning too, you know, social media can be such a double-edged sword. Like, like Steven said, I as well was on these Facebook pages and had to, you know, put them on uh, kind of like a mute, a block, because it was too much. But um, it also was beneficial because I was able to reach out to a couple caregivers, um, specifically caregiving to pancreatic cancer. Um, one Amanda, you know, yeah. um, who you know I'd spoken to numerous times on the phone, who um, was so beneficial for not allowing me to feel alone, uh, either of us, because it's just it is scary because you read like, oh, it's um, you know, not too many people have it. It's a rare cancer, but then you see that there's so many people that do have it, and you realize that it's not as rare as one would think, and you're not alone. So, um, building those relationships. Another um, gal was a caregiver to her husband um, who had recently passed away um, with pancreatic cancer, and um, her name is Michelle, and we talk weekly, you know, about everything, and have shared things with each other that we probably haven't shared with anyone else, um, and was able to relate even down to, you know, um, very personal things that you think that in your mind, you know, you're a horrible person for thinking about and um, So that's been very beneficial building those relationships with people that um, Understand also going to some you know, we were <laughs> we fought it for a long time huh, about going to a support group because we thought oh, it's gonna be you know uh, very negative and it's, it was probably the best thing that we've done. Um, and we go to one specifically for um, pancreatic cancer and then I go to one for um, caregivers. But it's been really beneficial to even just be in the presence of other people who are going through this struggle. And, um, you know, again, say, you know, to say that you're not alone. And I think that that's the hardest thing to feel is when you're alone and the devastation of it um, but that has also allowed me to wake up in the morning and say you're not alone there's people who are fighting this and you know um, living life to its fullest and you know making um, strides to be an advocate for yourself you know and not just wait for your oncologist to come up with ideas and situations but to research you know research um, other pan can, uh, pancreatic cancer organizations and trials and um, doctors. So, yeah. Um, well, there's strength in numbers, right? right? And I think that's something that we mentioned before. Not that we mentioned it, but we brought up the internet, right? And I think the internet can make you feel very alone really, really quick. And that's a scary thing. And I think the one thing that I guess I'll put a selfish plug here for this podcast that we hope we do is share stories of families like yours so that people aren't alone and hopefully they do listen to it and then give you guys an opportunity to connect with these folks in this community because I think there's always and I've always said from the from 
our perspective, there's strength in numbers in what we do, but there's also strength in numbers from the survivor's perspective and the fighters and you know the family members and the caregivers. So that's so critical for those listening at home is that there are people out there, as you guys have found, that want to help. And there's not an intention of you know anything reciprocated. It's just a matter of just, there's a lot of people that have been through this thing called pancreatic cancer that want to help other people and connect. So I, I think that's something that's super powerful that was just mentioned. But also I think the other thing too, similar to what you guys just said, is like you have to be willing to connect with that person or with that group, right? I think unless you're there and willing to accept um, the support, it won't work, right? Like you can't just, it's almost like people who go to uh, substance abuse or whatever the issue may be that they have and they're not accepting of what's going on, um, it's not really going to work. They have to be accepting of, you know, the support and, and everything. Shift gears a little bit, and I'm gonna ask you guys a question, and both of you guys, I'd love to get your answer. Stephen, how would you define pancreatic cancer? What's your definition that you would use? Um, a cancer that turns your life upside down. Um, yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> how, how, one word, how. It's, um, it's debilitating and um, if you allow it to suck all of your energy, it will. And, you know, it, it breaks up families and friendships and loved ones. Um, but hell would be the one word. Now, you guys have had, and again, for being friends on social media, I've seen some of this stuff firsthand, so I'm going to bring it up. But the friends of Steven Schulman, and you've got the shirt on, we love Steven. So can we talk a little bit about how that started and, and you guys, the, the community, your community has really rallied around you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. So how did that start? Um, I think a lot of it started with Wade doing a lot of Instagram posts and creating a We Love Steven Instagram page um, and hashtagging screw you cancer, hashtag we love Steven. Um, and Another friend named uh, Becky decided to throw a benefit in New York and got a lot of people involved. And um, luckily I have a great support system of a lot of friends who rally behind me and offer to go to chemo sessions, offer to come over and just hang out, um, go to movies, get my mind off of the stress that's going on. but definitely Wade was more the catalyst of starting um, that sort of movement. No, it wasn't me, love. It was Meryl started the We Love Steven Facebook, and then Becky did the GoFundMe. What I did was I just, my mantra became love beats cancer. And I reached out to anyone and everyone because Steven was like sitting in a hospital room and it was his birthday and it was the holidays. I just reached out to anyone that I could to have them write a note to Steven, send him flowers or encouraging words. And I think that became like the catalyst that started more than anything. But it was definitely 
a group of friends that love Steven, but love us both so much that, um, you know, have, I believe that's what is the main factor in all in the success of the tumor not growing and its love. It really is just being surrounded by love. It's powerful stuff. Um, you guys have done events. I know there was just one down in Florida, mm -hmm. correct? Do you guys have any events coming up in the near future? There's nothing planned in the future as of yet. But um, we probably will do something, hopefully sometime soon. Becky usually, our friend Becky, she's really put together um, a few benefits. A scavenger hunt, which was really amazing. Um, where they went around the city um, finding clues and raised money at a bar. Um, but she does, she's been so nice to um, do like a variety show, a cabaret show, which was I saw incredible, that, yeah. incredible. Um, yeah, so. So if people at home that are listening, I know on Instagram it's We Love Steven. And then on Facebook, it's also We Love Steven as well. Correct. And that's Steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, not S-T-E-V-E-N. Yes. Um, so um, if you want to follow the journey of the We Love Steven group, go out to Instagram and follow these guys and go out to Facebook. Um, I've got two questions left for you guys. Um, what advice, Stephen, would you give someone listening to this podcast that, let's say, was diagnosed today with pancreatic cancer? Uh, my advice would be to not give up and to know that there's support out there. Um, there's great organizations that are willing to help, um, and you're not alone. So that would be the main thing that I would tell someone that's just diagnosed is that there are people out there for you to help you and don't be afraid to reach out and wait um, from the caregiver to caregivers yeah I my advice would um, be to say it's it's okay to sit in your feelings it's okay to be hurt and scared um, and angry but to not allow those feelings to dictate who you are and how you love the person that you're caring for um, and as you had you know mentioned self-care to definitely you know it's okay to go you know have a girls night out with your friends or you know go even to the um, museum you know by yourself to have that time to reflect um, you know the, the person you're caring for it's not gonna die the minute you walk out the door. That, that you need to have that time. It's like, you know, putting on the oxygen mask first before you help someone else. Like you have to keep yourself, you know, healthy. Otherwise, there's two sick people that aren't doing anything good for each other at all. So a question just popped into my head. What is the best thing that someone can do for someone that maybe has done for you, for, and we'll ask Wade the same question from a caregiver perspective. Because I, we always hear 
someone has cancer, I don't, you know, friends say, I don't know what to do, what to say. So what are some of the things, or maybe there's one thing, and you don't have to name a friend, but the one thing or something that was said or something that was done that was just awesome. Um, for me, the, the one thing is just being able to talk to someone like you talk to them before you are diagnosed. A lot of times people are like, how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you sick? And it, you don't want to really talk about your illness. So just to talk to people about what's going on in their life and other things besides the illness itself. Um, that's the one thing that I think has really helped, you know, and it helps you get your mind off of the negative aspect of this disease. Wait, the one thing that sticks out for me is Steven's best friend um, early on um, while we were sitting at the hospital together, you know, written me and said, um, I'm coming up to the hospital and you're going to go away for a little bit. Um, please accept this. And I, he came and he said, you know, I got you a massage a couple blocks away. And it was so meaningful. It just allowed me to um, take that time to just, you know, relax and enjoy some, you know, and again, it's it, it's that love that, you know, that really sticks out. Just show up, you know. Everyone can say, oh, what can I do for you? But it's the people that showed up, you know, that didn't have an agenda or didn't, you know, other than just coming to, to be there. That was like the the greatest thing of all. Thank you. All right, so if our audience wants to connect with you guys, what's the best way? Because there might be someone out there that's listening to this that wants to talk to you more, Steven, or wants to talk to you, Wade. And this gives our audience an opportunity to connect with you guys. Is it Instagram, Facebook? Um, we have a We Love Steven Facebook page. Um, and then also We Love Steven on Instagram is an, another way to connect. Awesome. But if you're not on those, you know, those things like you can e email me you know personally at my email um wadley at hair by .com. i would you know be more than happy to you know share more or just be a listening ear um you can connect that way too if you don't have you know those outlets well guys thank you so much um you know i've known you guys for a little bit of time since here. The beginning, yeah, though. since the beginning. And we helped you guys out and we hope to help you guys again. Um, and I will say this for our audience listening at home, Stephen, you look amazing. Thank you. Uh, I know we saw you in November and you know, but walking into Starbucks today, the color in your face, you put, it looks like you put on some weight, which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, the beard is thicker. It's, so you got it's got a little bit more gray, which I didn't notice last time. But we're all getting. I got a lot of gray. That's why I'm wearing my hat. But it looks good on you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you guys both sharing your story. And I made some notes. And, and you know, I, I think that the two powerful things, you know, Stephen says cancer doesn't define you, and I commend you for having the courage to have that mindset. And I know it wasn't easy at first, but. I will tell you from my experience that will carry you so far and it will do amazing things so keep doing whatever you're doing to have that mindset and if we can help in any way and Wade what you said is you know love beats cancer and that is just so powerful you know I think in all of this a cancer diagnosis doesn't change love it doesn't change who you are so 
don't forget about yourself. So thank you guys for having the courage and giving us the opportunity to share Stephen's story and Wade's story as well in this journey. And uh, that's a wrap on another inspirational podcast episode from Project Purple. (laughs) 